Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, I don't think we can do this enough, so I'm going to ask you to do it one more time. Can we give it up for our choir? That was that was awesome. I love a great choir, and that was that was a great choir. Um, you know what else I love? I love a great holiday. I love Palm Sunday. I love Easter. That's next week, in case you didn't know. Invite a friend. I mean, you should have invited them this week to hear me, but that's okay. I'm not going to take it personally. I love Christmas. I love Memorial Day. Yeah, you know that long stretch with no three-day weekends and finally Memorial Day shows up? I love Memorial Day. Thank you, Memorial Day. And I love the 4th of July, but I wish it was on Friday every year because I need that Saturday to, like, recoup a little bit. But my favorite holiday of all is actually not really a holiday. It's my self-made holiday. And it's a day I take off every single year. And it's a day I tell work a year in advance. I'm not going to be there this day next year. Don't even put me on the schedule because I'm taking this day off. And that day for me is the opening day of the Puyallup Fair. (laughs) No, not the Washington State Fair because I refuse to call it that. Because you can't do the Washington State Fair, but you can do the Puyallup. Yeah. Yeah. And the great thing about doing the Puyallup is you can do it at a trot or you can do it at a gallop. Or you can do it real slow so your heart don't palpitate. Just don't be late. Do the Puyallup. I love the Puyallup Fair. I do. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, see me after service and I'll explain all things Puyallup. Yes. I love the Puyallup Fair, and I love a million things about it. I love those Alaskan pig races. And I don't know why. I don't know because I like to see pigs running around a tiny racetrack, or it's because I can't figure out why Alaskan pigs run faster than pigs in every other state. I don't know. I just love everything. But I love the Puyallup Fair for two main reasons. The first reason is on opening day of the Puyallup Fair, up until like 1 o'clock, everybody gets in for free. Yeah, and I love free. My middle name is free. <laughs> Nothing will make me stop my car faster than a pile of junk and a sign that says free on the side of the road. I love free stuff. I do. But the second reason I love the Puyallup Fair is on opening day of the Puyallup Fair, there's a parade. And I love a great parade. And it's more than just a parade. It's everything about the parade. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you get down early enough, you park your car we're free on the side of the road because there's not too many people yet and then they have a free cowboy breakfast did you know that did i mention it was free yeah in the pavilion in the park you can go in there and get a free cowboy breakfast you get a full breakfast and you get to sit down with a real cow hand and talk about what they do it's awesome and one year when i was there i met somebody famous I'm going to tell you, and you're going to go, no way, Pete. But no, I met somebody famous there. I walked into the free cowboy breakfast, and there standing right in front of me was Daffodil Princess Kyla Ferris. Yeah. And she's here today. What are the odds of that happening? And then, after the cowboy breakfast, then you walk out, and you've got to find your spot on the curb, Right. You can haul your chair if you want, but I don't recommend it because then you've got to haul it all the way back to your car and then you've got to go in. Just sit on the curb. Find your spot on the curb. And I like to get as far down by the entrance as I can get 
but not too far because it gets kind of crowded down there. So I just find my perfect little spot on the curb, and then you wait. But it's a good kind of waiting, right? You're sitting on the side of the road, and you're looking down, and you're waiting. And you're just waiting. And then you hear something, and you get a little excited. Oh, it's just the maintenance guy's coming through, cleaning stuff. And then you're waiting a little longer. And then you hear, a little, way out in the distance, you hear a little sound, like music, right? And you see tiny little people way out there. And then the music gets a little louder and a little louder. And then you see it, and it's a marching band. It's Sumner or Ording or Rogers or some high school marching band coming down the road. And then you're getting really excited, right? And then those bands come through. And, and, then, and then the police, and you stand up for the police and the fire and the military, and you start applauding them, right? Right, they're coming through, and you're getting all excited about And then the clowns, and then the guy on the giant unicycle, and how he does that, I'll never know. And then the clowns come through and give candy to the kids, right? And then the grand marshal comes through, some B-list celebrity, right? Who knows? Danny Bonaducci, right? Who does like he was there one year, right? Yeah, so that was great. And then the mayor of Puyallup, and then like every all the distinguished people come by. And then at the very end, what's at the very end? The cattle drive. The cattle drive comes through, right? Real live cows coming down Meridian, heading towards the cowboys, and they're trying to keep them all in the middle of the road. And then the people behind the cattle drive. Right? Those people right there coming through, right? That's very important. And then the best part of all, and this is the part I love about the Puyallup Parade more than anything, the Puyallup Parade, after that, you get to stand up and walk in the street and become part of that parade, and you walk right in to the Puyallup Fair for free. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Nothing I love more than that. And I share all that with you today because I'm going to be talking about a parade today. I'm going to be talking about Palm Sunday. So let's get started. This is in, uh, we're, we're starting in John 11, verse 54, and it reads like this. Open up your Bibles or follow along on the screen, and it goes like this. Jesus now stopped his public ministry and left Jerusalem. He went to the edge of the desert, to the village of Ephraim, and stayed there with his disciples. So Ephraim is really a region and a city, so Jesus is anywhere between 8 and 35 miles outside of the city. And he stays there on purpose for an appointed time, which we'll see in just a little bit. Verse 55, the Passover, a Jewish holy day, was near, and many country people arrived in Jerusalem several days early so that they could go through the cleansing ceremony before the Passover began. So it's Passover week, and Passover is a feast that they celebrated every year that celebrates God's deliverance of his people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And he did that by pouring out his wrath on the land, killing the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but passing over all of the houses of those that had blood marked on their doors with the sacrificial lamb. So, how many people are showing up in Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem at that time has about 25,000 residents. And during Passover week, though, they're seeing anywhere between 100 and 125,000 people showing up. Imagine that. So to give you some perspective, Puyallup has a population of about 45,000 people. But every day during the Puyallup Fair, that number swells to about 90,000 people. 
or to put it in something that you'll all understand, that's about 75,000 scones. <laughs> understand that? There you go. Okay. So everybody just went, oh, now I get it. Yeah. So if you've ever been down there during the day, during the Puyallup Fair, trying to drive through, trying to walk through, trying to get around, you'll know it's very crowded. So imagine that number not being double. Imagine it being three or four times that size. Now you can see how crowded and how busy Jerusalem was that time. Verse 56, they wanted to see Jesus. So all these people that had come in, they want to see Jesus. They've heard about it. And they gossiped in the temple. And they ask each other, what do you think? Do you think he's going to come to Passover? Meanwhile, the chief priests and the Pharisees were public, had publicly announced that anyone seeing Jesus must report him immediately so that they could arrest him. So everybody wants to find out where Jesus is. Everybody's curious, especially the chief priests and the Pharisees, because they want to arrest him. And that announcement of we will need to arrest Jesus probably came with a pretty severe penalty if you did not report Jesus and you knew where he was. Now we move to chapter 12. Then, comma, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a dinner there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So anytime you see the words then, or after that, comma, or immediately following comma in your Bibles, go back, just like we did, to see what was before it, so that you can understand the full picture of what's going on. Another specific here is, notice the specifics of six days before Passover. See, if it had been me writing it, I would have said, eh, about a week before. But they put in six days before Passover for a very specific reason, which we'll see in a second. Notice also Lazarus. Not only raised from the dead, but now he's living life abundantly, kicking back at the dinner table, eating corn dogs and fried Twinkies with Jesus. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's got to blow your mind, right? I mean, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Now let's jump down to verse 9. The large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there. So all those people in Jerusalem found out where he was. And they came, not on account of Jesus only, but so they might see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. But the chief priests had planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So this large crowd in Jerusalem has found out that Jesus is in Bethany, which is less than two miles away from Jerusalem. So they come. So imagine this throng of people marching down towards this small little town of Bethany. And they come not only on account of Jesus, but also because they want to see Lazarus. See, some were curious about Jesus because of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but some fully believed. But look at the wording here. Because on account of him, Lazarus, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. The words going away, that's from the Greek word hupago, H-U-P-A-G-O, hupago. And this is what it means. It means to be led away under someone's authority or mission. It signifies a change in relationship. So many people were now leaving the authority and the mission of the Jewish leaders, and they were following Jesus. 
they were going away. They were trying to establish a relationship with Jesus. And this is why the chief priests wanted to put Lazarus to death as well as Jesus. So their hit list is starting to grow a little bit. Verse 12 then begins with three very interesting words. Doesn't look like it, but it is. The next day, comma. Hold on to that. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, and a huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. Everybody got your palm branch? There you go. Wave it up. Wave it high. Wave it proud. There we go. Thank you very much. They took their palm branches, which were probably a lot bigger than what you've got. But uh, it's like going to the baseball game when they give you the little mini bat on that day. You know, same thing. So they, they had their branches. Uh, they took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him, shouting, The Savior, God bless the King of Israel. Hail to God's ambassador. So many of the people of Jerusalem who saw Jesus arrive acknowledged or started treating him like royalty. This is what Mark 11:8 says. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. This act of placing your cloaks on the road or putting down leafy branches was, the, was something that they would generally do for a king or a very high ruler in authority. So let's recap a little bit. John 1-2 says that six days before Pas- Passover, Jesus goes to Bethany, a small village outside of Jerusalem just beyond the Mount of Olives. There he shared a meal with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and word spread that Lazarus was there, had been raised from the dead, and curious crowds began to gather. But the first three words of verse 12 say, the next day. So why, what's so important about these three words? Well, to find out, we've got to go back 3,500 years in time. We go back to when the Jewish people were in Israel, and they'd been captive there, held in oppression, in slavery, for over 400 years. And then they hear these specific words from God. This is from Exodus 12. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for himself, for his family, one for each household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So on the tenth day of the month, the month is the month of Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, which is probably our April. So think about April 10th. They're to take, uh, one, uh, each family was to choose a one-year-old lamb without blemish, no defects, bring it into their home, and care for it for five days. On Nisan 14, five days later, they were to slaughter it just before sundown and put the blood on the doorposts of their home. So that was an act of obedience and trust. And if you don't believe me, think about it. If God told all of us to go find a lamb and bring it into our house and care for it for five days, let it run around in the family room, you know, and then five days later we want you to slaughter it and then we want you to take some of that blood and put it all over your door. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust and obedience. And with that obedience, that same night the Lord would pass over every home he saw with the lamb's blood. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So because a new Hebrew day begins at twilight, that same night would have been Nisan 15. It was on this date that Israel left Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, redeemed by God, out of slavery, out of bondage, free. 
So why do I share that history lesson with you? Remember the phrase six days before Passover and the next day? Six days before Passover puts Jesus in Bethany on Nisan 9. The next day, Jesus enters Jerusalem, which would have been Nisan 10, the same day the Israelites were to bring lambs without blemish into their home. Jesus was coming as their sacrificial lamb. Jesus came as our sacrificial lamb on the exact day 3,500 years later. Verse 14, Jesus rode along on a young donkey, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid of your king, people of Israel, for he will come to you meekly, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now this version of, of Palm Sunday can be found in all four Gospels. In Luke 19, we see a little more detail about this donkey. Jesus says to two of his disciples, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, put their cloaks on it, and Jesus got on it. They found it just as he had told them. I want you to know whatever you're facing, that God goes before you. He sees what's ahead of you. It will turn out exactly like his word says it will. God goes before you. Proverbs 3 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, in all things, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Acknowledge him in every one of your situations and he will direct your path. The people of Jerusalem also sang praises to God. Matthew 29 explains, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were singing praises. It was a choir of praises, just like we heard this morning. It was a beautiful choir of praises. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor during World War II, during Hitler's reign. And this is what he said. He wrote this. It's so beautiful. He says, God has prepared for himself one great song of praise throughout eternity. And those who enter the community of God join in this song. It is the song that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy at the creation of the world. It is the victory song of the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea. The song of Paul and Silas in their night in prison. The song of the singers on the sea of glass after their rescue. The song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. It is the song of heavenly fellowship. Church, should we not be singing that song of praise every day of our lives? Verse 16. His disciples didn't realize at that time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. This Jesus riding it on a donkey. But after Jesus returned to his glory in heaven... Then they noticed how many prophecies of scriptures had come true before their very eyes. You ever look back at tough things that you've gone through and then you realize all that God was doing in the background? 
You look back at his word and what he promised you, and it all comes true. And if it's not, wait for it. Because God's still moving and God's still working. And those in the crowd who had seen Jesus call Lazarus back to life were telling all about it. That was the main reason why so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this mighty miracle. Church, people need to hear about your mighty miracle. They need to hear about what God's doing in your life. Your story matters. Your story is important. People need to hear it. I need to hear it in church, and I need to hear it outside of church. I need to hear what God's doing in your life because that builds up my faith so much. It's not jealousy. I don't, I don't care if God does awesome. I hope he does awesome, mighty things in your life because that builds up my faith. Tell people what God is doing. And don't be ashamed of it. Even if they don't buy it, even if they don't believe it, step forward in faith and speak it out. People need to hear it. You have no idea what that little seed that you're planting will do when people hear what you're saying, when they hear what God is doing. So this whole entry of Jesus has been called the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it's a victorious entry. The singing and the praising, seeing the people, the shouts of the people who said, God bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to God. And upon hearing all this, the Pharisees spoke to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, they said, command your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus answered, I tell you that if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will start shouting. All of creation would start shouting. And when they, the Pharisees, saw that they could not contain this parade of people, they realized what we should all realize. This was the victorious entry of the king. Listen to what the Pharisees said. I don't think I've ever read this before. Somehow I've missed this all my life. Then the Pharisees said to each other, we've lost. Look. The whole world has gone after him. Oh, if only the whole world would go after him. That is the triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus made this triumphal entry riding on a donkey. The Romans might have been amused by this. I mean, it was probably a comical sight. A small little donkey with a full-grown man. It wasn't a war horse. It's a little donkey. But those among them who knew their history would not have missed the symbolism. When Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey, he sent a very clear signal. He is king, but not in a worldly sort. He would not rule through domination, but only when invited by godly people. He's only going to be the Lord of your life when you invite him in. This entry into Jerusalem was indeed a triumph, and it can be a triumph in your life as well. It was a triumph of humility over pride, of simplicity over affluence of meekness over rage, of gentleness over malice, of love over indifference. It was a triumph. Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem for you. And he did it for three main reasons. The first one is this. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to save you. And that's actually something a lot of people don't want to hear. He came to save you. He didn't come to make you happy. Sorry to tell you that, but he didn't come to make you happy. Jesus never said, I came so that you will always be happy. How many of us pray for that one thing? You know, that one thing that will make our life complete? The one thing that will finally get us there? The one thing where we go, oh, now then I can be happy. And then you're going to get that one thing and realize five minutes later, it, it may have made you happy for five minutes, but it didn't fulfill you. 
It didn't fulfill your life. Jesus didn't come to give you the things you think you need because he is all you need. Jesus did say in John 10, 10, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give you life abundant, not stuff abundant. See, I want the Puyallup Fair to run 365 days a year. I love it, but Jesus didn't come to make me happy. He came to save me and give me eternal life. He came to spend eternity with me because he loves me, and he loves you too. And here's something you need to hear today. God is, God is not in love with the future version of you. He's not in love with you that finally comes to church. He's not in love with you that finally reads their Bible. He's not in love with you that finally overcame that addiction. He's not in love with you who somehow got their act together. Because whether you know it or not, none of us have our act together. We're all a mess. God is in love with you right here and right now. And it's our response to his little donkey ride into Jerusalem. It's our response to him coming into our lives. It's our response to his love that changes everything. Everything. And the sad part about that is most people won't or don't get it. In Luke 19 we read this. He came closer to the city, and when he saw it, he wept over it, saying, if you only knew today what is needed for peace, but now you cannot see it. They were so caught up in the moment, many of these people, so caught up in the hysteria, so caught up in the excitement, that they didn't see it. They didn't see the significance. They didn't see their king. Jesus comes into Jerusalem meekly, full of kindness and compassion to those who are plotting his very destruction. He comes to deliver himself up to their hands. Their king comes to be murdered by his subjects and to make his death a ransom price for their souls. He comes to save them, and they won't see it. He knew they would reject him, but he came anyway. Look at what we read on this last Friday in our daily reading plan. And if you're not part of that, get part of that. Get on it. I mean, it's great. In Luke 11:52, Jesus says, How terrible for you, teachers of the law. You have kept the key that opens the door to the house of knowledge. You yourselves will not go in, and you stop those who are trying to get in. By their false interpretation of the Old Testament, they had taken away the true key of understanding it, and allowing people to have a relationship with God. They were not allowing people to have a relationship with his word. They took this away from the people, and they substituted it with their traditions. They preferred to keep their rituals, to maintain their status, to walk with their perceived dignity and power. They preferred their own happiness, not realizing that Jesus didn't come to make them happy, and he didn't come to make us happy. He came to save us. That's why he humbled himself and rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. Jesus came to save us. Jesus also rode into Jerusalem to take away your fear. John 12, 14 and 15 says, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Do not fear, daughter of Zion. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is from the prophet Zechariah. 
who actually said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So why does John say, Do not fear, when the prophetic word actually says, Rejoice? Well, John was actually saying, Do not fear any longer. Your king has come. They were afraid because they were living under Roman rule and oppression. Yeah, they could rejoice in the moment because there's safety in numbers. But they, like so many of us, live our lives in fear every single day. And do you want to know what fear is? I heard this this week, and I think this is a great definition. Fear is like quicksand. You're living life and you think everything is going fine. But then one thing goes wrong, and then another, and then another. And you try to fight back, but the harder you fight, the deeper you sink until you can't move, until you can't breathe, because you're in over your head like quicksand. But the truth is, with Jesus, we've been given a second chance. We're just afraid we're going to blow that. We're afraid we're going to screw that up. We all are. But now that our fear is shared, we can overcome it together. Jesus said in John 16, I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You will overcome your fear in his word, in his community, and in him. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to save you. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem to take away your fear. And lastly, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to do it his way. The, the people of Jerusalem wanted a conquering hero to defeat the Romans. They wanted their king to ride into Jerusalem on a mighty war horse. But he didn't. He came humbly and meekly on a donkey. They didn't expect their Messiah to come into this world without an army and without political influence. No. But Jesus had a greater plan. Here's what God said in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call upon him now while he is near. Let men cast off their wicked deeds. Let them banish their minds, the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy upon them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, my thoughts than yours. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and stay upon the ground to water the earth and cause the grain to grow and to produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry, so also is my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It shall accomplish all that I want it to and prosper it everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace without fear. The mountains and trees, the hills, trees of the field, all the world around you will rejoice. Yeah, even the stones will cry out. Where once there were thorns, fir trees will grow. Where briars grew, the myrtle trees will sprout up. The miracle will make the Lord's name very great and be an everlasting sign of God's power and love. My ways are not your ways. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. 
Things don't always work out like we expect them to. But God is in control. Things don't always work out the way we ask God because he's got a better plan. When Jesus was being who they wanted him to be, they put down palm branches and they sang songs of praise to him. But when Jesus was who he really was, when he came for his true purpose, they put a crown of thorns on his head and nailed him to a cross. It's a week before Easter and Jesus is about to take the hard road to the cross. Let me call the worship team back up as we finish with this. Will you sit on the curb and watch him pass by like some parade? Will you wave and applaud and watch him go by? Let me encourage you today to stand up, even in your doubts and your fears and your areas of disbelief, and follow him. He knows the way because he is the way. And today, he says to each and every one of us in this room, follow me. It's this way. Will you close with me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that uh, in our doubt and in our disbelief and in our confusion and in all those areas, Father God, you want to meet us right where we are, Father God. You don't care about what's happened in the past. You don't care about our failings and our misfortune and whatever, Father God. You only care about us, Father God. Lord, teach us to follow you, Father God. We know that you pursue us every day, Father God. Teach us to follow you. Teach me how to draw close to you, Lord Jesus. Father God, we want to sing praises to you. We want to lay down our palm branches before you, Lord. But mostly we want to follow you, Father God. Wherever you're going, Lord, let us follow you. So we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?